welcome to the Coaching Family Soccer Coaching Podcast. A podcast for soccer coaches from grassroots to the pro game. Soccer coaches who love the game, love coaching and want to get better. Join our community on Twitter at Coaching Family. So welcome back to another episode of the uh, soccer, uh, the coaching family, soccer coaching podcast for coaches all around the world. Uh, joined uh, as usual by my very, my good, very good friend, Glenn Hicks. Glenn, how are you doing? Good, thanks, mate. Good, good to have you on, mate. Fantastic. And uh, today we're talking about uh, 1v1, the 1v1 duel, or outplaying as some call it. I'm uh, going to have a little discussion around that and about, you know, session design and outcomes and just general things coaches, um, well, general things we think about when we're thinking about delivering that in our session. But just what do you, what's your thoughts, initial thoughts? We're talking about 1v1. What's your initial thoughts about 1v1? Yeah, so it's, a, it's a good question in terms of, um, I think a lot of general opinions, so especially in, in grassroots football, just in my experience, is when you say 1v1, the first thing that springs to mind is, Lionel Messi dribbling against the fullback, which is a great duel. So when you look down the years, I remember for about five years, I think Ashley Cole and Cristiano Ronaldo had the best ding dong 1v1 battles. But I think I look at it a little bit broader and I probably learned to do that last 10 years, so to be honest. And I look at the 1v1 duel in lots of ways from, and then I'll design my practice from there, to be honest. So from Sergio Busquets receiving the ball like a master, 1v1, and outplaying his opponent with great body shape, good receiving skills, fantastic passing, to obviously your usual 1v1 dribbling. And it goes on, you know, you can go all around the pitch with that. So I look at it as a 1v1 duel, like you said, and I try and design a practice where you get as many little 1v1 outcomes as possible, really. That would be my starting point. Yeah, I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because you, you look classically at 1v1 and, you know, the majority of 1v1s you look at coaches doing sessions are going to be, you know, your, you know, the conventional players dribbling at a player from five or 10 yards sort of thing. And I think, you know, as same as my sort of, you know, over 20 years, you know, doing 1v1, you know, we've learned that, you know, obviously the 1v1 in the game looks, is a lot more variation like you talked about. Do you know what I mean? Most 1v1s are maybe actually with players in behind or on the side or just those much more tighter spaces anyway. <laughs> And also, like, um, you know, 1v1 without the ball as well in terms of the running behind or movements to get on the ball and create the ball. But I'm just a big thing, like, I was thinking recently, actually, about just general balance. Do you know what I mean? And we talk a lot about mm. balance in teams and, you know, trying to unbalance the defences and teams. And really, I, mean, I focus a lot about trying to unbalance individuals and unbalanced defenders. So if you unbalance the defender, then you unbalance the team. Do you know what I mean? So that's, I think, it's a quite an interesting sort of, you know, way of looking at it, isn't it? And a really key thing. I mean, and and a lot of people talk about, you know, oh, one of my pet peeves, grievance, oh, you know, 1v1's not hundreds of step overs and all this and all that and this and that, you know, on the Twitter sphere. But reality is actually, you know, 1v1, like you said, looks different all over the pitch. Uh, in the modern game, you know, you, from your keeper to your fullback to your strength forward, everybody needs 1v1 qualities. Everybody needs to be able to get on the ball, stay on the ball under pressure. That's the modern game. And then I suppose it's then about, you know, how we, develop our sessions to to um, develop those qualities and then also then to, uh, you know, prepare our players for the modern game. Absolutely. And that's the important thing. So we prepare them for the model game, so modern game. So if our objective is, obviously, if you're in an elite environment, your objective is to, to create the best footballers possible and get the best out of them. We've almost got to have a bit of foresight and think, well, that's OK. But if we've got a 10-year-old now, we've got to we've got to try and look and see what the game's going to look like in eight to 10 years time. But what I would say as well, when you look back in history, and I like to do that a lot, um, the game don't change much in terms of when you watch Bobby Moore or Franz Beckenbauer read the game and they dominate 1v1 with their exceptional anticipation of the game, great timing on their interceptions. I think it looks very similar to a Rio Fernando or Virgil van Dijk today. And I think you go back, you know, look at the dribblers. If you look at, uh, Lionel Messi today, I think you'd see a lot of, in terms of the technical components, you'd see a lot of similarities with a Garincha or a George Best or a Yoan Crest. So I, th I think as much as we want to prepare them for the modern game, we also want to stick to some core values that are the best players yesterday would probably be the best players today. So if you picked up Pele and put him in today's football, he'd still be a phenomenal footballer. He was still doing phenomenal stuff. And one thing I would say, though, so, and it's really important for the youth development, grass coaches, and and any any environment really is, we we've got to we've got to adapt our training with this one v one stuff as they grow. Um, that would be my first point because I think 
when I do 1v1s with six to 11-year-olds, for example, it all looks very similar in terms of we want all the players to be exposed to the same stuff. Uh, and as they grow, as they start to come out of that, and I don't know, you get, you get someone who's a little bit taller now and he's got different physical needs, different technical needs. Again, I think you just adapt it and refine it as you go without, without neglecting stuff. And eventually when you get to the top end sort, players are going to be what they're going to be in terms of physically, especially. You can't deny what someone's going to be physically. And it's about, I think, when you get into a professional development phase and you see actually they're fully grown now in terms of a physical specimen, you've got to really develop players to their strengths now. You've got to refine it to the point where, okay, so let's take Peter Crouch and Jermaine Defoe, for example. Wonderful partnership. But in terms of 1v1 domination, they dominated the game in different ways, but they're both centre-forwards or they're both strikers. So Peter Crouch scored 50 goals with his head because he dominated in the air and he used his physical attributes to dominate. And Jermaine Defoe is still scoring goals with his exceptional movement, exceptional technique. You know, he'd probably run across the front post and Peter Crouch would be on a back post. So there's, as they grow, we've got to adapt our coaching. I think it starts off generic and as they grow, it becomes a bit more specific to their needs. Yeah, there's a lot to unwrap there and some obviously great points as usual. Just, I mean, so going for the, I mean, yeah, we'll come back to position specifics. I think it's really important. There's a lot of stuff I do when I'm working particularly with the, you know, the pro players and stuff. But I think generally there's also like the, the misconceptions about 1v1 as well. Do you know, and generally like, you know, it's almost just thought of as if, or just generally, oh, you know, oh yeah, do a bit, or he's got a trick and that sort of thing. And I, that really frustrates me because, you know, for me, 1v1 skills are just, just, just skills like any other skills, like being able to ping the ball, cross the ball, volley, you know, pass, be able to just, uh, do a 1v1 skill is exactly the same. And then, you know, and lots of players do develop these, you know, of these, you know, naturally and evolve, you know, like your Sanchos, your playground players, players like that. But the reality is, is that players don't have those, you know, assets in their locker, then that's a problem at the highest level. Then we've, as coaches, we've got to understand that. And then that's when we deliver. That's when we're going to be able to step in and say, all right, that's when we, that's what we've got to do. And like you say, like, you know, different players have different assets. So, you know, your Peter Crouch, you know, is not going to be that one, that wide players driving down, doing loads of step overs and beating players, you know, getting beyond or with the ball. But it's understanding that what's your, what are your physical capabilities, you know, and what sort of 1v1 techniques are going to suit your game and the position your game as well, isn't it, I suppose? So it's when you talk about that, the young players as well. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Foundation phase it is just, you know, your, you know, your, your global approach, if you like, breaking it down into the two 1v1 elements we talk about. You used to talk about Tottenham Ronaldo work, which is dribbling at players at front or from an angle or Sedan work, which is receiving with the behind or on the side, you know, basic two areas and just flooding the, those players with as much volume and experience for those opportunities as possible. But then, yeah, as you talk about now, when you get into the YDP and the PDP and when, you know, the top end, then it's about those little details, isn't it? And understanding how we can unbalance players to the unbalanced teams. And it might just be that, you know, movement before you receive the ball, that little fake, that little movement before the ball comes to just unbalance and then go. Or it might be, you know, I have to work a bit harder to unbalance the play and I've got to do my little movements, little step overs, my cuts, my cross, more whatever. Do you know what I mean? I, I suppose it's, it's uh, dependent on, it's situational, isn't it, I suppose? Definitely. And the main thing is there, like we talk about it quite a lot with our dynamic ball mastery. Um, and I don't think this should stop. I was having a conversation with my colleague yes, just yesterday, so, um, and he was saying about getting at the age groups under 13s, 14s, 15s, maybe some of the players are looking a bit stiffer because they might stop the dynamic ball mastery. And I think, the one thing, again, going back to some of the stuff we spoke about previously, so is I, don't, I think the massive advantage that we keep going on about is not just the technical balance, but the physical balance, the returns of constantly doing your crofts on both feet, your twisting, your turning, your hooking work, your chopping, your cutting left to right. That whatever the player ends up growing to be, you look at Van, Virgil van Dijk's exceptional balance of going both sides 1v1. There isn't a weakness there, I don't think. Um, or you look at, Jermaine Defoe's goal scoring to go both sides. He'll drop a shoulder, smash it on his left foot, or smash it on his right foot. You know, that physical balance is a thing that I think has to go all the way through your training sessions. You know, if you're going to practice six on your left, do six on your right. And, you know, that the, the returns of that can't be, shouldn't be undervalued massively. Yeah, yeah I think that's another one of the, the big misconceptions, particularly in this country, is that, you know, first of all, they'll say, you know, well, what's the point in doing, you know, I, I was told by a skills coach who works actually at one of the top clubs, he says, oh, we don't do step overs and stuff like that. It's just like the circus. And I was like thinking, wow, like, well, you think, you know, Ronaldo, this is the circus to you. You know, you think, you know, all these players, it's like a, just a conventional skill. Not everyone uses it mm. different on the pitch. 
And I think Jamie Redknapp used his step over, you know, step around a step over when he was, you know, when he was playing. So that's one of the misconceptions. Obviously, they're functional, they use it. And obviously, then, you know, we, uh, you know, we encourage the players to do lots of it, lots of those movement patterns, because then that's helping them develop the body for the modern game, the body for the modern 1v1 duel. You know what I mean? Like you say, the agility, the balance on both sides, explosivity on the left and the right to get out and be dynamic with the ball. I work a lot of players. A lot of players come to me and say, look, I'm not quick. I say, well, look, you, not a lot you can do about that, but you just got to be as quick and sharp with the ball as possible. Do you know what I mean? You look at players, hmm. you know, like down the years of Dan, maybe he's not the quickest, you know, over that 10 yards, but with the ball, he is sharp and explosive and his movements are really quality. So I think that's one of the big misconceptions, isn't it, about doing that, you know, flooding the players, like I said, the early ages with the high volume quality repetition, that dynamic ball marshal support them creating those, those movements. Players will choose their own skills. They'll choose their own weapons, you know, their own artillery to use in the games. You can't force a player to use the skills, but it doesn't mean you don't show them all the skills and you develop that, you know, repertoire for them to, to make the decisions. And then, yeah, as you say, then as when we get an older, then really fine-tuning, isn't it? It's about delivering that detail and being able to do it. And like you say, we see that a lot, didn't you? A lot of the foundation phase, they'll do hammer. They'll hammer lots of 1v1s, lots of 1v1 skills. They get into the YDP and they'll just stop, you know, and they'll just yeah. go become more formulated, more possession-based and more static, really. And then the players, like you say, will lose that those those quality movement patterns they've developed. Yeah, and maybe that, that, maybe that comes with us coaches wanting to to do what we want to do rather than what the players continually need and this whole nature of nurturing we'll go back to it again so and the key is i know we've said nature plus nurture but i think we've also got to nurture the player's nature so what i mean is so if you plant an apple tree in your back garden tomorrow right if you expect anything other than oranges in a year's time to fall off that tree it's bizarre but it's like planting an orange tree, knowing that that's what it's going to be. You know, the kid ends up six foot tall and you're expecting apples or you're going to uh, surprise the white. We've got apples. It's the same with players. I think pl players are going to be what they're going to be. Right. But while we're building that point, it doesn't mean we can't give them lots of this stuff. So like you said, a thousand step overs in the first year of their football life is not going to harm them it doesn't mean they're going to do a thousand step overs because they're going to refine and find out what they are anyway. So. Neymar's got his signature move. Harry Kane doesn't often do a step over. He'll just shift it and, and put it in the top corner. Um, Danielson used to do 12 step overs, but it worked. People will find out what their best moves are and stuff anyway, which is the same with passing. You know, people have almost got signature passes that they love. Um, you see Odegaard for Arsenal the other day, and he's, he's, he's playing really well off the outside of his foot. He loves that little prodded pass on the outside of his foot. And I think, so. you know, they're going to be what they're going to be, and they will... Eventually, if you're asking them to do too much at 17, 18, that don't quite suit them. So if you're asking Peter Crouch to run away from a back four, like Jamie Vardy, he's soon going to rebel against you and say, listen, you're not getting the best out of me because I'm not Jamie Vardy, I'm Peter Crouch. So I think, and I think the key to that is always, always having an eye on the, the changes in development as, as they grow. And then obviously at 16 to 20, by the time they're 21, they'll be fully grown adults, but it's still a lot of growth and a lot of change in between between their ages of 16 and 21. Yeah, and I mean I mean looking at the bigger picture then I suppose it is just about you know just the what your what your club's DNA is what's the philosophy of the club what sort of players do you want to produce now we've been blessed to work at clubs where we, you know we, the demand is to produce Champions League players so players for the very highest level and obviously we know that this is a real prerequisite but obviously there still is a conversation going on do you know what I mean? And, you know, I've worked clubs necessarily where they haven't, you know, this hasn't been a complete buy into this, you know, in terms of real consistent use. And I've seen clubs that has been, but obviously, you know, I suppose it comes as well. Then if, if you know, if, you know, me, my experience of what, of, for example, the courses for the FA courses, I mean, there hasn't been really been any, well, I haven't seen in any 1v1, do you know what I mean? Specific stuff on the FA courses. And also, I'm, even one of you fly since I was told there's not there's no such thing as one, you know, one v one. And that's an old cliche, like there's an old quote I used a lot, but I was, you know, that's you know, ten or so years ago. It's one of the architects of the new youth youth, youth uh, the uh, youth modules told me that. Do you know what I mean? So I suppose it's just a case of the club you're working in, the environment you're in. If you're in an academy, what sort of players you want to produce? You got to believe in, it. and and also then it's just about. I think as well, being brave enough to come away from the team enough, you know, what your team looks like on the weekend to say, right, we're going to spend a bit more time in the individual stuff because, you know, we've realised the bigger picture about what it's going to look like down the road. 
Yeah, and ultimately as well, when you look at like uh, the Ajax model, so for example, yes, they want to create nice youth teams, but they're, they're producing individuals to sell on and to sustain the club. And, you know, a lot of clubs have got to do that, whether it's Brighton with their fantastic model they've got at the moment, having to sell Ben White for £50 million pounds or whatever. You know, there, there was a... When you when you look at the greatest teams down the years, they've always had the greatest players that have been the key. So, for example, Harry Kane at the moment, you take him out of Spurs team, it significantly reduces it. Lewandowski last night, he's an, last night, he's an exceptional individual who is still progressing, by the way, because people forget that it wasn't really until Pep Guardiola came along into his life as a footballer that he's actually just boomed and blossomed again at 30 onto another level and he looks as fit as ever, as technically astute as ever. Um but I think, so So one thing we've got to consider as well is as players are growing, you know, I know the full four corner model. I don't really work from the four corner model. I've just because just it works a bit, bit easier in my mind, maybe because it's a bit more of a simple mind. But I, I go with a four P's, you know, the physical, it's, it's obviously it's the, the same in terms of what it is, but it sticks in my mind. Physical, practical, personal and psychological. And we've got to help players develop their 1v1 individual abilities with that as well. So what I mean is Roy Keane was an incredibly dominant 1v1 player and he could dribble past the player he could definitely drop a shoulder and go past someone he, he would beat you in a tackle he could win the ball in the air so there was lots of 1v1 duels but the other way he dominated the game saw is with his personality and with his leadership and when and with his effort so when you look at a James Milner and a Jordan Henderson you know we've got to put that value of, of what they bring to the table um, in our practices as well so if a lad is the most perseverant, hardworking player like a Jordan Henderson, which has got him to win the Champions League as a captain in the Premier League, by the way, um, you know, qualities like that, the personality of a player needs to develop as well. Because if you're going to be Lionel Messi or Eric Cantona, you've got to have a big character. You've got to have a big personality and you've got to encourage the arrogance or the swagger or the self-belief because you can't be a number 10 and carry a team without a big personality. So that stuff has to be involved in our planning as well. How are we provoking more stuff out of their personality or how are we creating leadership here because you know one day one of these boys might put a captain's armband on and lead a team in that way with their, with their domination I think that all comes out with dribbling and every single 1v1 situation we have on a pitch as well so yeah that's a good point because before we're trying to get into session the actual session design I mean it's more good points to chat about because you look at like Harry Kane for example you know we talked the other night you know someone who grew up as a 10 in the academy moved to you know migrated to number nine and then basically players nine and ten but we talked about this before in the podcast that you know at that club all our players all the players had to have midfielder or creative midfielder qualities you expect the you know the expectation that they could all you know pass it move it beat dominate one v one that sort of thing so you create a culture where all your players have those midfielder or attacking midfielder qualities mm. so this thing that's that's an that's an interesting point because you want your players to to be able to play everywhere and just having that one, and you, and you mentioned recently, you mentioned about the psychology, like that keen, that bravado, and that's, that's a big thing. I always think I, I so I'm a big fan of like the actual one v one dual practices, and there's mm. always an element of that, and each each one of my practices because I, you know, I've been lucky to travel around the world and you know and present at conferences and stuff. And when I'm watching, like for example, like you know possession uh, practices and stuff like that, which are great, I've used them all the time. But the problem is you lose those all the time. You know, there's this it's a get out for a player. If I'm looking for this, I'm, yeah, I'm passing, I'm passing, I'm passing. Mm. I don't need to make the decision. I'm just moving the ball, moving the ball. Where, and then you put them on a bit of pressure. So hang on, it's a 1v1. You've got to solve the problem yourself. Do you know what I mean? You've got to actually step mm. up here and have the personality to say, right, I'm going to do it. You know, whether it's, you know, just cut and face and play it forward or whether I'm going to beat you with, with 1v1 skills as well. So I'm a big fan of that because, you you know, you, you, you stress the player, you challenge the player to make those decisions themselves rather than saying yeah I'm going to bounce it and bounce it. and that's why I'm I'm not a massive fan of like overload attack and overloaded practices uh, mm. practices because I think it's just too easy for players to make the decision I want a players to, I want to force the player to put them on the spot they've got to solve that problem themselves and just put it on it and then you want to create players have that natural bravado and confidence of the ball to do I can yeah I can do that do you know what I mean wherever I'm playing as a right back or a left, you know, center back or right back. I can take the ball forward. I can beat a player. I'm used to that. You know, I'm used to having the the, the personality and the braveness to do it because I've done it every day in training. Definitely. And, and you know, you know, one of the terms that we would say a lot at our academy saw, so, wouldn't it? It would be, especially with the six to 11s. And again, I don't think it should, it should, it should change a little bit because you've got to learn the game. But the biggest reason we say stay on the ball, just that term, stay on the ball, four words, so powerful, is... It's not just we want the technical outcomes and we want you to score a goal of the season, but it really is, again, this is about the character. It's building the courage on the ball. 
being brave enough, whether, whether you end up, so if we're developing midfield attributes, like we say, okay, so you're playing in the middle of the pitch with, with, with your, all the qualities you need in there, and you're going to end up falling into a position that you find anyway, because no one really as a kid wants to be a centre-back. That, that's not disrespectful. It's probably becoming a bit more glamorous now with your Van Dykes, but Rio Fernand and John Terry, for example, played centre midfield as, as youth players with the midfield attributes, and they found their position there. Harry Kane, midfield, and he found his position as a striker because he's exceptional penalty box, and Ashley Cole was a forward and probably could play centre midfield, but he became the best left-back probably one of the best left backs in history. You know, they grew into their position, but just that courage on the ball and being brave enough to try things. It's interesting what you said to about, I think I'll watch Premier League football at the moment and there is such a void. There's, there's just a dearth of creativity and character. I see players passing the buck, not passing the ball. So, so Bruno Fernandes has created the most chances this season, but he's attempted the most passes. His courage and personality is just huge. Mo Salah has had the most shots on target, uh, most shots in the Premier League. He scored the most goals. And again, this, uh, I was talking to him yesterday saying we've got really good strikers in the academy and at a club, and, and I'm sure everyone else has. And sometimes a player stops shooting, so, and all you've got to do is change the target. Hey, you've stopped shooting. Can you take more shots today? And you, because they've missed a few, do you know what I mean? And again, you're just developing the character and the courage to do stuff to try stuff, to not be scared to have the audacity to foul. And do, do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So like, so then talking to then, let's just move on then to the, to the nitty gritty, you know, session design. What, what's, what are your, what are your, what are your thoughts then? You, you know, you set them session about 1v1, how, how you, you know, what's your thought process? How you get into a session? How often do you try and to get it in your sessions? Um, almost every time there'll be a 1v1 element somewhere. And again, right up to, you know, working with college boys at the moment, like 16 to 20 year olds. And even now, it's really, really important to maintain 1v1 domination. And one of our lads, just a couple of days ago, 18 years old, quite small, five foot seven, five foot eight, absolutely terrific central midfielder, stepped onto a training pitch with a, with a non-league step three team, which is really, really good for his development, you know, playing with ex-professional footballers that have dropped down to that level. And he coped just fine, but he coped just fine, so because... He's been doing tons of 1v1 stuff. He, he's got quite, like we say, he's got quite a complete game in terms of physical, technical, all these attributes. So I'll always design a practice to, the starting point will be the basic 1v1 that you said, Saul. So I really like the basic, there's your line or there's your two gates on your left and right shoulder. There's my two. Let's just play a couple of passes and have a 1v1 showdown. Can I get past you? Can you get past me? Can I get the ball off you? That would always be the basic starting point. And then from there, there's, there's loads of ways you can go with that, as we know. So if you just change the gates now to, OK, now it's me and you again. I'm facing you, Saul. The ultimate show, showdown, three yards apart. We pop a couple of passes and you know the game pick and end. You just put a gate to your right and a gate to your left. OK, so yeah. instead of the gates being behind you now, just by moving the gates to your left and right, we've got different outcomes. It's more lateral movement. So I've got to maybe put some more left to right movements in. Um, there's going to be a lot more contact defending and contact attacking. So you're going to get in close to me, probably be on my shoulder or on my hips or whatever. And I've got to twist and turn and keep it safe side. And, and again, from there, just by doing things like that, like moving the goals or, or moving the ob objective, the target of where you're scoring or where the end goal is, brings out different outcomes. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So, like, I yeah, absolutely agree because, I mean, yes, yeah, you know, for me, it starts right at the beginning. So, for, you know, you know, I'm doing ball mastery warm up. All my ball mastery now is like completely linked to the one v one. It always has been, but really explicitly now, I'm thinking of right now, we're talking about those movements that's going to go right into the one v one. So, even if the players are a little warmed up, all my combination work, I literally just, you know, the core skills that I think are the core skills of the game used with some other other ones variations, really specifically, and then all that. You know, the combination work we do is the movement work is linked. I'm thinking, right, that's progressing. And that's my thought is working with the players to support their movements going into the 1v1 duel. Mm. And if, some, if I'm talking about like a perfect, for example, the stuff when I'm doing at Arsenal, the 18s, if I get like a 20 minute slot or a 10 minute slot, I'm doing, you know, five minutes, seven minutes individual ball work, turns 1v1 skills, specifically cuts, croy, step overs, marital combination work. Then I'm going into some passive pressure. I've got time there in twos or threes, you know, some high volume, high repetition of, you know, safe side turning, cutting away some like, you know, Ronaldo, like, sorry, the young or Zidane work, maybe some rolling into some Ronaldo or Mbappe work, I call it now. And then into that live 1v1 when I'm then thinking, right, now we've built up into that. Let's go into that. 
And it's a lot of my, my time thinking about, right, how I'm going to arrange that session. So I'm going for one ball each. And then when I especially when I'm working with some of the younger coaches at the clubs as well, and I'm doing the consultancy work, you know, the foundation for base coaching, right, how are you constructing a session? You're doing one ball each and then into, you know, one ball between two to three, get the high volume and then into your 1v1 life. And then trying to think about that and then just have that high quality, high volume movements, but quite specific all to the one v to the one v one jaw. And uh, yeah, I mean, same with me. Like, I still like, you know, the the classic one one where you're dribbling at a player. What I've done as well, sort of spoke with the older players, you know, your classic, you know, you're dribbling in it. I work more of an angles now. So I hmm. think that one, you know, the Spurs, the rotation one where some sets sets back, plays forward, you've got three players in the triangle. I always try now to work on angles. So you're, going, you're trying going in and out, like you're right when you're going into the left or vice versa, stuff like that. Hmm. But what I've done now, I think a lot more like stuff, you know, training those repetition rotational practices, which are really useful, but trying to make it a little bit more game realistic. So what I do is, for example, if you've got, if you can picture it, you know, a, a 20 by 10 almost rectangle, players attacking from the top. Uh, you know, he's got to receive the ball in a first touch. So he's, he's receiving rather than dribbling like five, six yards, he's receiving to engage the defender. And if he gets over the line, it's one point. But if he gets inside the defender, maybe like a five yard gate, then that's mm. two points or three points, if you know what I mean. So you're working, I try to defend like a fullback. So I've got to send him outside. So you're trying to create that natural yeah. sort of game thing. So it's maybe difficult for the listeners to picture that, but maybe I'll put like a demo up. But yeah, so I've really sort of progressed to that thing. how can I make them as you want the high volume, high repetition, so high rotation and obviously ball rolling time really key. So, you know, if I've got, you know, 16 players, I'm, I'm confident of setting up, you know, four groups of 1v1. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Four groups at once and there's just high, you know, set one up, bang, roll in and step in when I can. Like we talked about in the session design, basically. Yeah. Rather than that, that pet peeve of mine when, you know, you see a coach who's got 12 players, you know, they just got two players working and 10 mm. players watching. I'm thinking, well, come on, man, just be a bit, or oh, come on, let's be a bit braver. You know, let's be trust, you know, six players in that group, six players in that group, you know, mm. be in the middle, set it up and watch this, set up, watch this. And I do that all over the world. Do you know what I mean? It works. You know, even yeah, players absolutely. aren't great. Just try and just in, and then to get as much quality, I've said in high volume repetition. That's what we need, those movements. You know, don't have to overthink it. Just get those players in those little 1v1 combat, you know, um, scenarios. And really probably my, still my favourite one, the classic one I've still got of Keith Boanas on my old level two like you know 20 years ago is that classic just one v one to a target do you know what i mean just receiving with my back pressure there i've got to try and receive turn and pass the ball so mm. you don't actually you know it's not even about dribbling it's just about receiving little movements to fake to touch buff and whip it around the corner do you know what i mean and no or one or like yeah. you know one v one to him i've got two target and he's got two target the other ways or two v two two target i did the other day two v two to, to targets so it's like a square four players on the outside two teams 2v2 2v2 bang and then progressed it into like a little third man run sort of thing so lots of areas to do but yeah i mean for me it's that it's like us like that you said really important to have an element of it in every session if i don't have time i'm really pushed for example sometimes you know you know the coaches you know you've only got you know 10 minutes five ten minutes or maybe i just do some ball mastering some or it's a day before a game and the coach doesn't want uh live one v ones i'll just do lots of you know high volume pairs third and threes you know rotational passive pressure sort of thing but i think mm -hmm. it's really important to have that sort of idea you know methodology thinking right what was a good ball mastery 1v1 session look like if you know what i mean yeah definitely man. and it's a good point and again just so if i just stick with the the, the session i said just because it's easy for listeners to see so again yeah. start with that one i'm in a 12 this that's a 12 by 12 square uh, i'm in the middle of the square man it's two gates either side and it's me versus you so you start with basic passing and even on that, there's different ways to beat the player. So I'll play a pass to you and we say on the second pass. As you play it back to me, I might beat you with my first touch. I might just get a big first touch out of my feet and I'm in the goal. Brilliant. Encourage it. Brilliant first touch, Johnny. You've beat your player with your first touch. The next time you're going to read that first touch. So now you go to block it because you think, wow, he's got a great first touch. We've got a Xavier or Busquets here. You go to go that way. I fake my first touch and I cruff the other way. Well, now I've beat you with my deception and a turn. All right, now that's not working. Now I might have a stun touch. You might encourage a stun touch. And when you say, yeah, put your foot on the ball. When he plays back to you, put your foot on the ball. What's that going to do? It's going to bring him towards you. And now the player starts to press the ball when you just drop his shoulder and do skills. So even within that little 1v1 duel, there's lots of different ways to beat a player. And again, if I'm not, if I was up against you, Saul, and you're really, really quick and you're an Ashley Cole and I'm quite slow, I might actually have to allow you to come closer to me, sit on my shoulder so I can protect it. I might have long legs like Peter Cratch where I'm actually just securing the ball and retaining it like Harry Kane's good at securing the ball and holding it up mm. because that's all a part of the 1v1 domination, just literally holding onto the ball and retaining Absolutely. the ball. Do you know what I mean? And I might have to almost carry the ball 
with you hooked onto my side into that gate. It doesn't matter. As long as I get there, if I ain't got the explosive pace to get away or the great first touch, I might do it a different way. So, and another one I might change that. So is, um, you might, you might, I call it a stitch up pass. So we just say right now, boys, you can give the player opposite you any pass you like, put it around their throat, their chest, give them a little bobbler, a little scoop to one. So now you've got a different technical element to deal with. So instead of just basic passes on the floor, I'll scoop it up to your chest salt. So now you've got to either bring it down and move it on your first touch away from me, or you've got to instantly turn your back on me and go into protection mode. But again, the initial starting point, if you just change the start point, it completely yeah. changes the context of the one. Well, well, that, well, that's, well, well, that's what I mean about those practices where, <clears throat> you know, come on, you've got that player driven in five, 10 yards. For me, there's much more interesting now. You just, you know, it's a little combination and then it comes into his feet and your first touch is right. I've got mm. control and the defender's coming out. And, you know, I was talking about engaging the defender. Like my first touch going straight at the heart, you know, rather than taking it down the line. So we talk always talk about straight at the heart and can I engage? I've got the quality to, to suck the defender in maybe and even then I could just beat him with one movement. Or like you say, maybe he's too tight and I just go first time around him. But I think that's really important, just being a, a bit sort of creative with um, mm. with the way you, you know, because you, you, know, you mentioned the, the Chris Ramsey's um, phone box game because Alex Inglethorpe used to do the variation where he, someone would ping the ball in from like 15 20 yards you've got to receive it, receive it. <laughs> yeah, and, it's and it's straight touch. away yeah. and that's yeah do you know what i mean that's the nasty level isn't it really because that's what we talk about you know because you want that's something that is that first you want the first touch as well about in a game i've got to have the quality the first touch under pressure to then engage the 1v1 or even like before the ball comes a little movement to then even go first time like you talked about i mean that's mm. that's the game isn't it so like obviously the younger age groups, you know, you can do that. Yeah, let them dribble, 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 dribble. And then, you know, that sort of conventional one. But then just being a bit more creative in the way how you start in it, you know, little, com- you know, for example, one player on the top, one player on the bottom, two players in the middle, you know, combination, bang, bang, bang. He takes him on for season and those rotate round and then the other two have a go, same thing. So you get lots of repetition, rotational practice, but it's a bit more interesting. And like you say, with the first, you've got a great, it's a first touch practice, isn't it really? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And with the one v one thing as well. Yeah, that, that little practice you said, sort the, the phone box one. I, I Again, I, I love still doing that. But again, I've made a little adaptations and that bit that you said, Alex done, I'll do it as well. And the, the two things that you get from that is, so imagine, so if we go three and three, right? There's three pinks in a little box. Let's say it's a little three by three yard box. And for the listeners, you know, them players are basically guarding the outside of the box, shall we say, and they've got to move around. The player that's passing into that box, they've already got a real bit of pressure on their technical element. They've got a player pass into a really tight space. So there's already pressure on the pass being precise into feet. The player receiving has got a real technical test of if you can move the touch. So if you can spot the little space, the free line. So the player's protecting behind you to your left and your right. Well, the first touch forward, take your first touch forward out great if not you've really got to work on that stun touch keep it tight to your feet then you start rocking and rolling and getting out the way you can also bring that player that passed it into sort of i like to do you know that little out pass we spoke about the other week like bird camp you know you're rocking and rolling and rocking and rolling you can't quite dribble your way out so now can you that guy that passed it into you can you poke a little pass through someone's legs like harry kane loves to do or can you flip one over their legs that little scoop pass and the rule is if you get the pass out you get to a free run out to score in another little goal that's made there. You put like little side goals on. Do you know what I mean? Can you picture it? So mm. I'm in a tight area. I can't dribble my way out. I can't get my first touch out. So what else can I rely on? I'll get a little out pass. So punch a little pass out, get a one-two and I'll go and score. And then you just rotate. So the guy that passed into you, he goes in the middle. The next guy that was resting, actively resting, he comes and punches the pass. Then you go retrieve your ball and join the line. And the thing is, the, the practice is really dynamic as well, Saul. No one's ever standing around because the defenders are working really hard, as we know, to work on their defensive movements and their lateral movements, moving their feet. And one thing I'd say about 1v1 practice, Saul, it gets neglected, in my opinion, as well. We don't coach defenders enough. We don't mm. coach the defending element. I've, I've done sessions now where, uh, Danny, years where I really wanted to work on the dribbling, Saul. But the defending was so atrocious. They was defending like Dick Van Dyke, not Virgil Van Dyke. And you know, no, do you know what I mean? And it was almost comical at times. So we had to spend a couple of weeks saying, hey, let's go back to basics. Because the idea of that is if the player's dribbling every time and getting success, is it good dribbling or is it really poor defending? So we had to get the defending to be a bit more resistant first. I wanted a few tackles, I wanted contact, I wanted them correct body shape, not diving in. And then we could really get to work on the attacking. So I think we've always got to focus. Don't don't do things in isolation. For me, if you're always working on attacking, you must be working on a defensive element. You must be encouraging really good 1v1 defending as well. Yes, great point. Because that's what I said earlier about that, you know, 
that one about, you know, you dribble over the line, it's one point, but if you dribble inside the defender, maybe five, you know, with a little gate, it's two or three. So mm. that, because that's a, when, I was, when I was watching a lot of those practices, you get a, you get one v one practice and they'll just be standing stand straight on like this. I think, well, one, you're defending poorly, two, and in a game, you're never going to be defending like that. So maybe mm. then you have the constraints in your get your one v one. I'm thinking, right, come on, don't let him, you know, whatever, he's going to, if he's going to score, he scores there. Doesn't mm. score the two. Do you know what I mean? It's the yeah, same yeah. in the game. Not going to let him inside. I've sent him down the line. Mm. He's not coming inside, right? So you having like that creativity to, in your session design, the constraints, sorry, to say, right, okay, then, then they, no, I've been doing that with the, you know, with the 18s and stuff. That same, I was, you know, I've had to step in and say, well, hang on a minute, boys, this is, you know, defender's poor here. Don't let him in there. If he comes in, there's mm. two points, you know, then you make competitive, you know, you know, counting points, stuff like that. And you say, whatever you do, it doesn't come in there. And the same as the game, right? No way, he's not coming into goal, is he? You're mm. going to send him outside, delay, delay, whatever, bang, bang, right? So that, but I think it's a good point. And I'll admit, like, you know, in my early career, you know, especially in those, you know, this as idealistic days under Chris, I didn't work on 1v1 defending at all much mm. and in the 1v1, but then I came to realize actually, you know, the more, you know, not working on 1v1 a lot, but working on 1v1 enough that it actually will improve your 1v1 attackers because suddenly, you know, your, you know, your defenders know how to defend properly or a little bit better. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. I was a bit of a pure, I was too of a much of a pure, I was thinking that attacking. You know, I didn't have any team possession. It's all individual possession. Don't work on defending once. We did work on defending. We just talked about we talked about balance. We did balance games, head up, balance games for awareness, mm. but also balance all. But I think actually, yeah, you know, reminding players is really important. I say working players because what that's going to do is going to make your your attackers better in it. Yeah, definitely. And you know, I always try and use. So I've got the four P's for a player. You know, the physical stuff. But but when you talk about individual ball stuff, so I know I've spoke to you a lot about this. Is I, I look at you know, first of all, the word is responsibilities for a reason, because I see even senior professional footballers pass the buck. It's about assuming responsibility. So we've all got, if I'm a player and you're a player, no matter what we're going to be, we've got four responsibilities. Can you receive the ball well? Whatever that looks like, whether it's in the air, on the floor, first foot, second foot, in your own half, in their box, can you retain the ball well? And again, there's different parts to that. Dribbling is a part of retaining the ball. If you're dropping a shoulder, securing the ball and shielding the ball, like Harry Kane, is all a part of retaining the ball. Um, running with a ball like Mbappe. If you're just a runner, and or like I watched Ben Tancur the other night for Spurs, he carried the ball 30 yards up the pitch, won a foul, and it's exceptional retention of the ball. But he ain't dropped a shoulder. He didn't do a step over. He just travelled with a ball. And the last one, which is underrated, which... You see, if you watch Manchester City players or Pep Guardiola players, they do what's called conducting the ball. They'll just put their foot on the ball and they'll wait for the game to move. And they're not dribbled. They've not run with it. They're not hustling and bustling. They've just put their foot on the ball. They've took three or four touches or three or four seconds on the ball. And they're watching the game move. And all of a sudden, the centre forward jumps. Now they play. So they've not dribbled past anyone, but they're still retaining the ball. And the last thing is, and again, this is the defending sort, is the retrieving of the ball. You know, Luis Suarez, uh, Danny Welbeck. Danny Welbeck's an exceptional retriever of the ball. He used to press, didn't he, and really hound players and win the ball. But um, Virgil van Dijk is as well. So that regaining of the ball is a part that's always, I always try and put them three, four R's in our practice. And the regaining of the ball is the one. So I don't, I don't say to the young defenders, especially because they have to buy into defending, don't they? It's not as trendy. So I say, okay, is it defending or is it getting the ball back? So actually, we're enhancing your attacking. So if you're good at getting this ball back, you're going to go and score in the goal. Do you want to score goals? And all of a sudden, they go, yeah, go and get the ball back then. And all of a sudden, their, their attitude changes to it straight away. Do you know what I mean? Because you want your whole team to be good at retrieving the ball, like Bernardo Silva, for example, is another one that is exceptional at retrieving the ball. Um, so I, I always put that into my planning. So make sure that I'm trying to hit the four R's, the receiving, retaining, releasing, and retrieving of the ball at some point in the practice. I've got to expose them to it. Yeah, and, and you, you talked about Guardiola. There's a great point in it. And there's that that, that uh, quote in one of the books where he talks about, he says, you know, first thing I look for in a player is can they dribble? Do you know what I mean? And you look at those players he's got, he, you know, and all those different sorts of 1v1 players, your Bernardo Silvers, your your KDBs inside the pitch, can play inside. Foden, who can go beyond as well, come side and cut. Sterlings and your Mareses and, you know, Canelo, Cancelos. Canelos. Yeah. Cancelos. It's yeah. like... And Carl Walker on the other side, so many, you know, Edison, you know, I mean, great 1v1 player under pressure. Jeremy can play the ball, mm. you know, I mean, black. So lots of different. So, and that's why, like, you know, when I see, like, you know, coaches on, on, uh, you know, Twitter saying, oh, yeah, you know, under sevens, under eights, we just do rondos all the time, rondos, rondos, rondos play, which is fair enough. But then you're saying, like, you know, that's why I say, like, remember the, you know, the, the end point's different to the beginning point. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You know, and, and you want to try and give players as much 
time to explore the ball, express it, get on it, take responsibility, develop those movements. You're not going to be able to develop those lateral quality movements, you know, if I'm just passing the ball all the time, you know, treating like a hot potato. So I'm not saying, you know, you've got to do it all the time. I'm saying, you know, if you, that's, that's an issue with some of the philosophies which are just purely, right, move it, move it, move it, like that sort of thing. So, yeah, I think that's just, it's a great example to see, like, you know, that the adult game is different to the, to the, to the youth game. So, I mean, remember that and let players, little, you know, like Chris used to talk about, you know, you want that messy games, those messy sessions, those messy matches. That's, you know, reality. That's where you get the best outcomes. Yeah, definitely, mate. And again, um, I know I keep saying I've probably said about six times, but players will end up being what they're going to be, especially from a, a physical point of view. And per personality characteristics come into a lot of this as well, Saul, don't they? So I, I've had some players down the years as well, I've saw, and I'm sure you have, and everyone has, where actually their natural instinct was to defend. They've just got this something yeah. about their personality where I want to go near my goal. So if you just chuck a ball and say, play boys, your players will go where they want to go anyway. Do you know what I mean? The midfielders will go in the middle of the pitch. The ones that can't cope in there will go on the edges somewhere. The one that's a bit greedy and likes goals will go at the top end of the pitch. The one that actually has instincts towards defending or not necessarily instincts towards defending, but are maybe that little bit more selfless and sacrificial and, you know, Mr. Team player, they'll probably drop to the back end of the pitch or or like a, a Busquets and a Kante, you know, them humble, really um, team team orientated players. And what was the thing that Del Bosque said? He said, if you watch, if you watch the game, you don't really see Busquets, such as his humility. But if you watch Busquets, you see the whole game. And he found, he's probably found his position because of his personality and stuff. And sometimes we've got a set of practice for them players as well, so haven't we, as you know. So if I've got four players in my group that just love defending, and let's say, for example, they've got beat with a ball over the top a lot, so, so he played it over the top of me. I've got caught out with my positioning. I was either square-footed or a bit too high against the runner. Just change the practice slightly. So you've got to just start at the goal and give the defender. So we're 1v1 now, so I'm in front of you you're behind me, you throw the ball over my head and just that's the starting point. So you've thrown it over my head now. I'm, I'm first to the ball, working on my defending with my back to the player and facing my own goal. And I've got a, a Jamie Vardy chasing me on my back. So yes, it's an attacking practice in terms of he's going to get to the ball first, but he's actually working on the defensive element of playing the ball over the top, getting there to retrieve the ball and then having the composure to rock and roll or find a forward pass back to the back to the goal let's say it's, yes it's a shot but you can say it's a target a pass do you know what I mean so we're actually yeah, yeah. designing the session to bring the best out in those players that have outstanding defensive qualities attributes and and instincts as well at a young age yeah yeah I mean let's then I, no, that's absolutely I mean talk about when you when you work with the older players the YDP your PDP your pro players I mean that is it you'd be working on 1v1 profile I'm preparing for the game against Liverpool on the weekend, you know, I don't identify Salah's 1v1 profile. Yeah, he likes to run beyond, he's really good, or he can kind of defeat and he cut inside, likes to come inside, or can I, and he likes to also can use his right. So you're you're trying to construct sessions, 1v1 sessions, where you're trying to say, okay, what are his 1v1 qualities? What's his 1v1 profile? And then thinking about, right, how can you stop that? Do you know what I mean? So you look at Andy Robertson, for example, very different, more of a straight line minor, and then, you know, good distribution, very different to like a Trent Alexander-Arnold distribute mm. where he's just, you know, he's got, to, he's got to try and figure out, you know, what the dangers. So I think that's really key as well, isn't it? Thinking about what it looks like, you know, obviously with the young guys, but at the top end, you know, when you work with the, you know, your 18s, your 90s, your pro players, you know, how you can do that. So for example, when I'm working with those, you know, those, those, you know, those, those pro players, it's always about, for example, the stuff I did with Nonny, Nonny made a like in the beginning of the season. I was very much like, okay, here's this, this is sort of the position the pitch he plays in. Let's try and think about, you know, where he's where he can be successful, work on those 1v1 tactics for that position, that wide mm. forward play. He plays a lot as the 11 or 7 would work on both sides always. But really isolate those movements and those quality 1v1 tactics, which is going to be supported to be successful and then just hammer them. Do you know what I mean? Obviously, and everything's mm. got an end product on the end as well. So obviously a shot across most of your shot and work on those movements. Same with like the stuff with Max Aaron's as a you know full, like a fullback who really is like a deep line winger. Lots of one v one play. Like I said, talking about you know the first touch to engage the player. I mean, to take him inside to then go out, potentially or come inside if he lets you, that sort of thing. So just understanding the 1v1 tactics in the game and then being able to then, you know, work at the highest level. That's what the position-specific stuff looks like. It looks a lot different for those guys than if you're doing a nice 10s and 11 session. Do you know what I mean? Before, before we go on comment that, mate, just quickly, because we're running out of time. If you are, if you're a grassroots session, you're a grassroots coach, you've got an hour, you've got the boys or the girls for an hour each week on the AstroTurf, it's really windy, all that sort of rubbish, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. You know, by, by, by the airport, it's really cold weather. But how do you, what, what you, you know, you've got one, you got one, you're one hour a week with the, with the kids. What are you do? how are you getting 1v1 into your session? How long are you doing it for? That sort of thing. Um, well, 
the, the first thing I would do is, especially if it's a cold night, like, you know, we said about arrival activities. If we wanted to go a bit more heavy on 1v1 stuff, one of the best things, so I call it the ladder game or, or, or Champions League, Sunday League. So what I mean is if you, if you can picture, if you've got 16 players in your group, set up eight little mini pitches, just side by side in a ladder. So it creates like a ladder. Right? And it's a brilliant activity. You've got to keep your eye on it as you're setting up. So you arrive, it's five to six, you're on six till seven. Get the squares set up. You've got your eight pitches. The first two that arrive, they go on the Champions League pitch. And just say to them, here's the game, guys. I've got to get across your line. You've got to get across my line. It's a little five-yard box. Player one, two, go into the 1v1 duel. Next two come. You're on the second pitch, guys. You're on the Europa League pitch. Right, boys, it's winners up, losers down. After 30 seconds, I'm going to say change. Play your partner. If I get across Saul's line four times, he gets across my line three times, I win. Winners go up, losers go down. And please don't be scared to have competition. Children love competition, right? Winners go up, yeah. losers go down. The next two arrive. So the, the, as soon as they arrive, they're into an activity. Put them on the third pitch. Okay, this is you. Well, call it what you like. Just name the pitches just for a little bit of fun. The bottom one ends up, whatever you want. You, sometimes they name it stadiums. Sometimes you get a bit of rivalry. That, um, yeah. A Spurs fan might go, well, let's call it the Emirates. Or a Man United fan might go, well, let's call it the Etihad. Do you know what I mean? So I'll call it what I like, thank you very much. <laughs> no, but do you know what I mean? So all of a sudden, yeah, the yeah, kids are interacting socially. And before you know it, so you've got 16 boys, two on each pitch. It's, it, there's some fireworks going on. There's a competition. Yes, players might be losing. So you've got to watch out for that. If I was on the Champions League pitch and I've ended on the bottom pitch, again, there's a good element there. The lad's going to have to deal with himself emotionally. You know, yes, you've yeah. lost a few games. Okay, why have you lost? Can you, you're defending, you've got to improve. You might go, yeah, I'm diving in. Okay, don't dive in. Think about the stuff we spoke about. But you don't even have to coach it. Just set that up as an arrival activity. Five minutes, five to 10 minutes. If it's going well, let it go for 10 minutes. And just once you've got your little other bits set up and, and just literally walk from pitch to pitch. And like we said the other week, so just keep spinning plates, catch them being yeah. good at stuff. If, if little Johnny's a bit upset because he's gone down three pitches, can you find a way to pick him back up? All of a sudden, every time I've done that sort, the session is on fire because they've started with energy, enthusiasm. Better cauldron. Yeah, the competitive cauldron. You've stoked it up a bit, the atmosphere, and your session is ready to go. And then I would go into your specific activities, whether it was 1v1 in front of the goal or whatever it is we was working on. Do you know what I mean? The little box games, like we said. But yeah. I'd I, I try to get quite a lot in with the young kids. Like I say, 6 to 11-year-olds, guaranteed yeah. there would be quite a lot of 1v1 in, in yeah, I mean, session. Same, same if I was thinking that, I'd say the same. Like, you know, your rival, you get them in there. You know, for example, 16 players, you've got four boxes, four players in each box. Your little rotation practice, pass, 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 one v one, or even just mm. simply face up, face up, little payoff, just boom, bang, and then next two go bang, next two go bang, next two go like high repetition. Even if it's five, I say to coaches, like, even if it's five or ten minutes, even if you do five minutes to ten minutes of quality work, it's going to be, it's better than nothing, but it's just the the um, you know the uh, outcome you're going to get are going to be fantastic. We're going to move just last quickly. You had a question from our. Uh, one of our previous podcasts from Michael Petrus uh, here he says, great, he was talking about our uh, session design. He said, great topic and discussion. I'm interested to know your opinion about practice 2v2s or 3v3s in fundamental phase, let's say under eights, under nines in the academy, under, under nines. In the academy where I'm working, we have to do drill only upnumbered 2v1s, 3v2s, etc. So uh, that's like what I was talking about earlier about those. I think what we were talking about, you know, those simple, like, you know, 2v1 you know, to a goal, 3v2 three three to a goal, bang, 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 you know, but, you know, which is fair enough because I suppose we're working on the decision-making and maybe the overload, whatever. But my issue with that is that just put them in a 2v2 and 3v3, we got numbers up, it's harder, right? And you're through mm -hmm. a goal, like a little small side game when, like I said earlier, the players have got to make a decision rather than, okay, here, there's always a spare pass on. You're practicing the easiest thing in the world. Do you know what I mean? You practice an easy yeah. thing, isolate 2v1, dribble on there, play there, you could do that one session, then you have to go back to it. Play a 2v2 or 3v3, do you know what I mean? We've actually got numbers up and I've got to work harder to actually work it. Actually, I've got to stay on it, maybe, like you say, rock and roll, mm. okay, around the corner, that sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? So that's why I've always been like, I've always moved, gone away from those. Not saying it's not great, you know, um, quality outcomes to have from that, but that's yeah. why I think you're saying you only, have, you only do that. It's just thinking, well, when are they, that's, that's making it a bit easier for the players. Mm. What's your thoughts? Just briefly, got two couple of minutes to make, go on. Yeah, yeah. So like the 2v2 and a 3v3, or let's say it's a 4v4 game, you'll always get a 1v1 in there anyway. And then you'll always get an overload because I might have run beyond you and I'll man out of the game and a 3v2 will occur anyway or a 2v1 will occur anyway. And naturally, no matter what numbers game you play, the situations are always going to arise. And then it's just about, you know, encouraging it and spotting it and noticing it and, and, and 
you know, having the skill to decision-making. But again, people talk about decision-making with young children the same way they do with professional footballers. And I think it's incorrect. Yes, it's the really efficient thing to do on a 2v1. If you hook the defender in and your mate is sparing he is open, the most efficient and intelligent and obvious thing to do is pass to your mate, let him go and score. Well, actually, even on a professional football pitch, that's not always the best thing to do. Because I remember, everyone remembers the picture of Son and Sissoko versus Van Dijk. And the genius of Van Dijk on a 2v1, he's such a genius. He stepped on Son and said, pass it to Sissoko, please. And it's the obvious part, is it? He passed it to Sissoko. Sissoko's now on his left foot, shooting from 18 yards out. And it's no disrespect to Sissoko. He's he's an excellent footballer, better than I've ever been. But is he as good a finisher of Son? No. Who would you prefer shooting in that situation? Son. So it's not always the best thing even at that level. And with kids, if my objective with an eight-year-old is I want to develop your courage on the ball, I'm telling him to refuse that. I'm going to say to the kid, use that player there as your decoy. Throw a little step over in, like you said, so unbalance the player that way and go past him, please. And he does it, smashes it in the top corner, or he has a shot and his mate gets the rebound anyway. Or do you know, do you know what I mean? So with kids, yeah, I, mean, I still would lean towards encourage the bravery. Yeah, encourage yeah, I know exactly. And, and you made the point there, saying you're doing a freebie free. It's about teaching players to identify where the overloads are in that i break pressure mm. i roll out boom now it's a 3v2 bang i've got him recovering as well but where's the overload now where's the 2v1 do you know what i mean so i dribble towards that play like you say isolate drive at the heart bang then maybe like pop it with the outside of your foot or step over mm. come inside use him as a decoy do you know what i mean but it's much more interesting and dynamic to do that in a 3v3 rather than a 2v3v2 3v2 where it's you know set up for oh we're running at a player here but let's do it not saying it's not sort of Got outcomes there because you can talk about through ball stuff like that, but like the like you say, that outcome going to have also got the recovering player area and that sort of thing as well. Do you know what I mean? Definitely, definitely, mate. And and I think, like you say, having a guaranteed 3v2 in there, and again, I'm not against these practices, I do do it sometimes myself yeah. as well. Because you might have a 2v2, and the reason I put a magic man in the middle of the pitch is because little Johnny's not getting enough of the ball and he's not got the confidence to go and get the ball back yet. So, part of your design might be it's a 2v2 on a pitch and Johnny, you're going to just wear a white bib and you're what we call a magic man or a floater. Call him what you like, link player, call him what you like, doesn't matter. But people will go, oh, why are you giving up? But it's not giving him an overload or it's not having a link player. It's, I've got an outcome for this kid. He needs to get on the ball more. So if he ends up being the one who's the spare man and when the 2v2 play to him in a bit more space, well, my objectives are complete. He's got a little bit more time and space on the ball. He's not losing it as much because he's not thrust into the heart. He builds his confidence. We now take the white bib off of him. We tell him to join the line and go and join a 2v2 practice. We might have helped him with his confidence. Do you know what I mean? So again, depending on what your objective is for the individuals, I keep bringing it back to individuals, but depending what your objective are with that group of players, as long as you've got clarity on it and as long as you're developing them, the 1v1 stuff will come out anyway. And just be careful that we pounce on stuff like if a kid is absolutely refusing 1v1 or they're refusing to do the brave stuff, again, encourage it with developing the courage in the players. You're developing a positive attitude, an attack-minded mindset in the players. Do you know what I mean? That's it. Glenn, thanks very much, mate. Again, it's been fantastic. Cheers, mate. Loved it. And Brilliant. just... And just and listen, if you've got a question, don't be afraid, you can put the question on. That was a comment on our YouTube channel. So we've got a YouTube channel here if you want to watch the, watch the videos of us too. I don't know why you would do, just listen to it, see our two ugly faces. Or, or you can always email me at saw at mypersonalfootballcoach.com or you can just uh, direct Twitter just on Twitter or Twitter the coaching family page. But thanks very much. Like I said, look, we're just two coaches. Those are opinions. We're not saying anything. This is not gospel. We're just uh, giving our opinion. But listen, thanks for joining us and uh, we'll see you next time. Welcome to the Coaching Family Soccer Coaching Podcast. A podcast for soccer coaches from grassroots to the pro game. Soccer coaches who love the game, love coaching and want to get better. Join our community on Twitter at Coaching Family. Mm-hmm.